Welcome to this BJSM podcast. Today, our editor Karen Khan speaks with Lauren Mosley about pain science, education, and the pain revolution. Lauren, great to have you in Vancouver, Canada today, and um, I'd love to hear about some of your new projects that are on your mind. Thanks, mate. It's uh, it's terrific to be here uh, in in Vancouver. I was in Victoria yesterday, and uh, tiny little tour. So I guess the the most obvious projects. Uh, that I'm excited about at the moment. Uh, uh, pain Revolution. Uh, pain Revolution is, is probably really better described as a movement, right? So uh, it, the, uh, the cornerstone event of Pain Revolution is a week-long educational outreach tour. Uh, we look for communities in Australia who are prescribing a lot of opioids, who are doing a lot of lumbar spine fusions, a lot of uh, knee surgeries, uh, and we try to find local champions who are prepared to become pain science experts. Uh, and then we visit them on a week-long bicycle tour. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I love it because I love cycling in, a, in part, but I, I love it because we are hitting the grassroots and, and it's, a, it's a triple hit, the pain revolution. So uh, one hit is the public seminars and you'd really describe them as pain shows. So me and others, so this year, Dave Butler, Glenn King, Tori Madden, Tasha Stanton, Dan Harvey, all uh, presenting as part of this pain show, free, free public events in town halls, in pubs, surf clubs, bowling clubs, uh, full houses, people in the corridors. I mean, the need is massive and uh, th- this relationship we develop with community organisations and with these local champions fills the venues twice in each location uh, and really we, we just want people to, to have an appreciation of, of contemporary pain science uh, because what contemporary pain science tells us is that uh, a colleague of mine, Dave Moen, who helped me on the other project that I'll speak about, I guess, Tame the Beast, he's got this great phrase where it, contemporary pain science reintroduces the idea uh, that recovery might be possible from persistent pain, uh, that we should go about treating acute pain in a biopsychosocial way. And his phrase is, uh, reconsider sense of possible. That's an exciting, exciting message. But it's a hard one to get across. Uh, there are so many barriers and, and, I guess, different voices. So we're trying to take that on a grassroots level. So there's the, the first of the three things are these public shows. The second is the brain bus. The brain bus is cool. Right? So we have this uh, travelling experimental laboratory that comes with us. It moves ahead of the peloton. It sets up in the local pedestrian shopping mall uh, at the surf club, something like this. Uh, and school kids go, passers-by go, aged care facilities take their gang down. Uh, Tasha Stanton and Dan Harvey are really the, the brains behind the brain bus doing groovy illusion experiments uh, that we know, we've done a lot of work that, that shows you experience one of these groovy uh, mind-jolting illusions and it's a, it's a great in to talk about pain. And can, you give, and can you give an example of one of those illusions verbally? I know it's a bit tricky on the radio, but uh, just to give the listener a chance of what they are, I've had a benefit of your talk, I've seen it, but what do you mean by these illusions and why are they helpful? Yeah. Yeah, great. So the illusion that people will most likely be familiar with would be the rubber hand illusion, 
where uh, we do a simple trick between touch and vision and people believe they own a rubber hand and they can feel touch on a rubber hand and it's a very compelling illusion. We also do uh, illusions that are called things like the disappearing hand trick, you can look that up. Visual illusions that everyone would be familiar with, the Ames illusion where, where people look big or small according to which side of a room they're standing on. Uh, there's, there's a lot of these things, virtual reality, Dan Harvey does some beautiful work with virtual reality goggles uh, and showing how quickly vision can give you a whole new understanding of where you are in space. These sorts of illusions, yeah. And the clinical relevance of understanding that these illusions exist, what happens to the viewer when they live after that? Uh, we, if I understand the question properly, we, we use these illusions to, to strike a chord into the possibility for, for punters that what their brain is producing is not a measure of reality. Now that sounds a bit out there, but if we would, we, we would then segue that into the pain world to say, we know science is very, very sure that pain is not a marker of tissue damage, not even in an experimental laboratory with a mouse. It's not, that's not how it works. Pain is an experience that's produced by the brain as a best guess inference. And that's the, that's the segue. Now we would use different language when we're talking with, with punters off the street. We would use language like, pain, uh, the brain produces pain to make you protect something. So any data, any piece of information that tells you you should protect will increase the likelihood of pain. Uh, one piece of data uh, is the nociceptive message, danger, detection and transmission from the tissues, and we respect that. Uh, and it's an unfortunate misinterpretation of contemporary pain science that Nociception is not relevant, it's very relevant, but it's not sufficient nor necessary for pain. And we want people to understand that, and when their system is sensitised, any other threat to their system, if it suggests to the brain, yeah, you should protect, then it'll hurt more. It's actually as simple as that. Anyway, so back to our three things. So there's the brain bust, cool thing. Uh, uh, the, th the third link in this chain, which is the long-term sustainable option, is these local pain educators. So the pain revolution raises money. Everyone who participates pays over a thousand bucks for the privilege of being part of it for a week. Uh, they also have to raise $3,000 in, in donors. Uh, and that money goes towards funding scholarship for these scholarships for local pain educators. So these are the local champions. Uh, for their scholarship, uh, we pay for them to do a pain science and education qualification at my university. We allocate them a mentor from some of the best pain clinicians and scientists in the country and together they, they plan in the first instance six public education events in their town. Uh, and the, the nature of that is very context and culturally specific events. You know, for example, one of the LPEs we call them, local pain educator LPEs, uh, one of the LPEs is planning uh, some events in, in a school environment so she'll go to a few of the schools in her location. Another one is looking at the netball and cricket club which is a big part of country life in Australia, massive part. Net netball, cricket and football, massive, massively influential. Uh, influential. Another is uh, in church groups, another is a dance club, another is a knitting club. 
Uh, and in the third year of this scholarship, it's a three-year program, it's not a trivial commitment at all by these, these people. The third year is that they are obliged to take on a mentoring role with the next cohort uh, of local pain educators. And that's the sustainability option. And we are, we are so excited by Pain Revolution because we're, we're really integrating all of the steps of behavioural change, right? So we cr create a stir get attention. I did 48 media interviews in a week. Uh, we get in the local paper, we get into the local heads. Pain Revolution becomes a brand, if you like. They go to see their GP and they say, what about that Pain Revolution thing? There's a website. GP can click on and see the resources we've got for them. Patients can get there and see the resources and, and work out answers. Not only are we creating a stir, we're, we're clearly changing knowledge level, so we know that. Uh, our intent is to change behaviour. That's a hard thing to measure quickly, but the initial signs are really encouraging. And then the fourth thing is that we evaluate it and it's sustainable. And obviously we won't know that for a couple of years. But uh, I said on a, um, on a video on the pain revolution, I said, in, in all of my 20 years since I started my PhD, it's 20 years since I started my PhD now this year, I've been studying pain and this is the most exciting thing I've been involved with for a long time, or probably forever in my career. So Pain Revolution is one thing. If anyone wants to learn about it, we have a website, painrevolution.org. There's a groovy video on the ride this year. There's a, there's a groovy video on the brain bus. There's some resources for professionals and for punters. Uh, uh, and there's always opportunity to come and join us next year where it looks like we're riding around Queensland and New South Wales, uh, and we'll replicate this. Uh, it's a massive event, obviously. Dave Butler was our education man manager this year. Now, that's a resource that, that is pretty precious. And, uh, and on the website, you'll learn who else was involved. I don't want to take all the credit for a second. And, Lorimer, while we're listening, obviously the BJCM audience is international, and so there'll be some energetic and visionary people in other countries thinking maybe we could do this on the UK or in the US or in other countries, South Africa. Uh, countries with big listeners and BJSM as well as Canada. Um, have you been approached from other countries already? Yeah, yeah, we have. So uh, I know there are initial plans being made in South Africa. Janet Keat and Tori Madden are, are having discussions about that. There are, there are specific challenges that would face that there that we don't face, but there are specific opportunities there that we don't have as well. Uh, I know there's talk in California and there's talk in New York uh, now, how far these things get will depend on the, the energy and the funding opportunities that people can get. I, I had to find 100 grand to fund it. Uh, so we're very grateful to the sponsors uh, that we had. Uh, I'm not sure if I can mention those sponsors on air, but uh, I'm very grateful to the sponsors, AIA Australia, who, who really jumped on board, and uh, Gallagher Bassett, University of South Australia. The, I'm so excited about these relationships that we're developing with these sorts of organisations and industry. So take AIA in Insurance, it's an insurance firm in Australia, uh, insure a lot of Australians for income protection insurance. Uh, their, their objective, and, and they're a fantastic company to work for, they've got this vitality program that's outstanding, but their objective is to, is commercially, is for their claimants to recover. Right? That's our objective. That's my objective. It's exactly the same objective. Historically, pain researchers uh, 
go into partnership with organisations and industry whose objective is to sell treatments. And that's felt reasonably aligned. But if you think about it, it's less aligned because uh, selling a treatment is a good way to get an outcome, right? But the commercial return is on the treatment, not the outcome. Whereas Pain Revolution, we're seeking partnership with, with industry and other government organisations who will get commercial benefit from more people recovering. And that's an exciting space for me and I'm really grateful for those people getting on board. We need more. But to run a pain revolution somewhere else, Canada, UK, US, you'll need money to do it well. Uh, the production costs us 100 grand. Uh, and then the money the cyclists raise is what we're using for LPEs. Yeah. Yeah, for the local pain educators, as you said. So it really takes us to this other product, if we think of products in a good way, which is uh, to help the community. And you're making these things free in a sense that um, you've made a fantastic video called Tame the Beast that you showed at this conference in Vancouver and it got a standing ovation. So can you highlight that to the listener and how to access Tame the Beast? Yeah, sure. Tame the Beast uh, is, uh, a, again, another really exciting project. And I think... It, for me, it was quite novel. I, I, I had to, I had to sort of hold on to myself a little bit to give control over to a communications company uh, for how to communicate pain science because I've sort of had this false sense that well, the way I do it's probably the best way, and it's that's a, an arrogant and naive perspective. Uh, and I have to give credit to Dave Moen, a community physiotherapist, uh, with whom I have great conversations. Uh, he's an outstanding young hipster physio uh, and he really put it to me he said Loz you know you're good at this and I said thanks Dave and he said but Loz you're not as good as it, at it as professional communicators and I said come on Dave that can't be true and he said well why don't you have a crack so we went to a communications company uh, and I, I spent a lot of time teaching them the, the science of pain and then handed over control to them I said you go and uh, make something and here are the criteria the criteria are that it has to be faithful to contemporary pain science. It has to be easily shareable. It has to be free. It has to be viewable on a smart device on the internet. It has to be something you can put into the waiting rooms. And it has to be translatable or easily subtitleable. That's They were the criteria. Uh, so they did a lot of market research, actually. What's the best mode? What's the best format? Uh, what sort of hooks can we use? and they came back with this animation called Tame the Beast. Uh, I'm the narrator, and I, uh, I also cringe because I'm in it. Uh, it was their idea, but I'm a, I'm a necklace, baggy-eyed old professor, which my kids think is pretty hilarious. Uh, but Tame the Beast is, is a five-minute animation uh, that tells the story that, that is now... Uh, front and centre in modern pain science and that is that, that bioplasticity exists uh, and I would describe that as the equivalent of neuroplasticity for all of our biological systems and that means that the longer we have pain or the longer we protect the better we get at protecting so our bodies learn pain. It also reintroduces this idea that we can retrain the system to be less protective. So we have different questions we want people to ask their health professionals completely grounded in, in contemporary biological sciences. The first question is, how do I know if my pain system is being overprotective? The second one is, 
how can I retrain my pain system to be less protective? And the third one is, am I safe to move? And, I, and uh, we've talked about that one before on BJSM. And, and again, that's something influenced by Dave Moen. Uh, it's it's a, lovely, a lovely question to base a treatment around because we know that movement, mechanical loading of tissue uh, and activity is the number one effective thing for a body in pain. The challenge is that we have this, some people have the really big protective buffer and if they don't understand that it's safe to move, their pain tells them it's not safe to move so they don't move and they don't recover. So I think this is a real clincher, a real clincher. If people understand bioplasticity, so sensitization within their system, but learn learning as a fundamental life force, then pain doesn't mean panic and damage and danger. What they do need is a skill set to cope with some pain while they retrain their system and a, and a coach, a good coach to help them do that. I think someone asked me, uh, or several people asked me today, what's the, what's the key messages of the entire pain science world? It's a very hard question to answer. But something I've been thinking about a lot personally lately that I think has great power are these, these irresistible forces of life that are within us. One is healing. Now, tissue heals. It's a, it starts as soon as you have an injury. and It's amazing. There's so many things there that promote it. One of those things is the adaptation of our protective buffer. So immediately in the presence of tissue damage, we, our buffer expands greatly, and that's because of inflammation. Uh, inflammation does not activate nociceptors, which might blow some people away, but inflammation makes nociceptors very sensitive to other things. So we heal. The other thing is if we keep sending nociceptive messages, the nociceptive system gets more sensitive. So we have a bigger buffer there as well. But you can't stop healing. The only way you can stop healing is, is to interrupt the normal processes that are, occur. The other is the irresistible force of learning. You cannot stop learning. Uh, so we need to provide stimuli to which people will adapt. They will learn and that's bioplasticity. So what, what are the, the key messages of modern pain science? I reckon bioplasticity. We often say bioplasticity got you into this mess. Bioplasticity can get you out. Healing and the importance of mechanical load on tissues. Managing the buffer. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest within the BJSM community via our social media channels or listen to over 300 different podcasts via our app. As ever, have a physically active day. Mm-hmm.